Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. I'm, of course, joined by Rion. We've got how many days left till the start of the season in England? We've got about three days, two days. Two I think days it starts Friday night, now. right? Yeah, um, Friday, Friday night for them. Friday, oh, yeah, yeah, Friday yeah, afternoon for, for us. Correct, correct. Much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, first game of the season being it will be Friday night for you, though. No, it will be Friday night for me. I will, I will be in the same country and time zone as these, uh, these games will be kicking off. But Crystal Palace Arsenal begins basically the top five leagues this season an earlier start obviously because the world cup um, being in november and december but here we are this is basically our last preseason pod which is weird to think about right because we didn't record for about a month and then we haven't really had much to talk about other than predictions and crazy transfer stories and then like two weeks later all of a sudden the season starts so it all kind of like <laughs> once we started re-recording or not re-recording but recording again everything kind of just started up um, and boy, are there transfer stories, <laughs> Boy, we don't even, we're not even going to go into that. I don't have mental capacity and I don't think Rian does. I texted him earlier in a group chat and I basically said, look like Barcelona and Chelsea being main characters in this transfer um, season are just not, not it. It's just not what I need. So anyway, um, <laughs> how are you? You, you were at a wedding this weekend, which looked absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I was at I was in Colorado for a beautiful wedding. My first time in Colorado, actually. Was it really? And, uh, yeah, yeah. We spent like, uh, really like a, the last half day in Denver, but then most of the other time we were in um, Aspen, which was, yeah, about as bougie as literally anyone <laughs> who's not been there before, as you'd expect. Like, it's like what people although, make it out to be. Yeah, yeah. It it honestly might be more bougie during the winter like like the houses are unbelievable like every house is I'm, i assume every house is literally built from the ground up like there's no like <laughs> there's no like no two houses look the same on the same street which is actually honestly pretty cool yeah. but um but then like outside of that just being surrounded by like mountains i i mean like i it, it stuns me that we literally we being humans literally built a, a whole town on the side of a mountain <laughs> pretty much. like built like not and that's not the only one in colorado of course but with like a um, functioning irrigation plumbing yep. everything yeah. yeah 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 it's it's actually quite it's actually amazing to think about 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 that um yeah got to go like on top of on one of the mountains like the elevation thing is is pretty real do you feel it? it it so I wasn't, didn't feel it as bad as like some other people, like, yeah. um, you know, at least one of one person that just had like altitude sickness. Like, yeah, I've like, had that. Yeah. Um, and then basically anytime you get some sort of cardio going for like, a few minutes, just out of breath immediately. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Long COVID beautiful. or altitude sickness. Never. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, which one is it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was very, very cool. beautiful beautiful Um, yeah those pictures it's just like it it looks very scenic and it looks very picturesque and like honestly a a good good long weekend getaway i i'm like getting ptsd from altitude sickness because i went to peru or sophomore year or sophomore year of college Mm -hmm. and it was on a trip where we went to cusco which is how you get to machu picchu you have to go there first and Cusco is, I think, at about 9,000, 10,000 feet, somewhere in that range. Um, 
and it like it really hit me like I was like <laughs> bedridden for a half a day where I was like oh I don't really want to move much <laughs> but um eventually recovered yeah some some of my friends poke fun of me for that but neither here nor there um I will say like when it comes to altitude and football when players especially in South America go to like La Paz in Bolivia and play at I think it's 13,000 feet I do like how Le- legitimately how yeah. Because we're struggling at like six, <laughs> which is half that. Yeah, and then the, in Mexico, there's the Azteca, right? Which is seriously. I, I need to. I need to look up this. I I know that one's like at least a mile high, maybe. Yep. Yep. Um. Yeah. Twenty. What's twenty two hundred meters? What is that? Times six. Three. Yeah. yeah. Six something. Uh, yeah. Thousand crazy, feet. Crazy. Crazy stuff. Um. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was it was great. I think we were somewhere. I think Aspen itself was something like eight thousand or something. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, uh, and then we went on top of a, we took a gondola up to the top of one of the mountains, and we were like twelve thousand feet up. Yeah, see, that's where. Mm, no, <laughs> that's that's pushing my limit. I think. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Colorado in general, beautiful, beautiful state. I'm. Um, i have to visit i've never been i truly like you i've never been up till now so um i'll add that to my list i'll add that to my list (laughs) yeah Um, i'm not sure if everyone will get the chance to go to aspen itself (laughs) and and honestly like yeah unless it's a a, an occasion like a wedding like this i would i I wouldn't have been there but uh, do they have like uh gate agents when you step off the plane like asking (laughs) what your net worth is before you uh Thankfully, we flew into Denver. So, so. <laughs> you came the system. <laughs> the poor man's route, as they call yes, it. Yes. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Well, over, I guess, the next however many minutes we'll go through on the pod this week, uh, we're going to go through basically our light version of predictions, right? We'll go through our predictions that don't involve, you know, basically who's going to win the league, who's going to finish top four. Um, or get relegated we're going to do kind of our three biggest predictions and the ones that we're most confident in and then we'll talk a little bit about our top four predictions and relegation predictions as well for Premier League and La League as we always do but Rian let's kick things off let's start with our kind of major predictions uh we were talking about it right before we started recording but I kind of like I have one for England and I have one for La Liga I don't know if I have a third that is backed by necessarily evidence but <laughs> we'll start with i guess a couple of predictions on your end i want to hear the the two or three that you have about about the premier league of course and so yeah i've got got my two here and then my i have another one that i'm just going to fold it into our into our top four predictions because it is about one of those teams so starting with my first one here a player who last season came to the league as one of the best young players in the world, best 21 and under young players in the world, had been tearing it up in the Bundesliga for a year, for about three straight seasons, came and was pretty disappointing, like overall for the, for the season. And the player that I'm talking about here is Jaden Sancho. And my prediction is that he will be nominated for young player of the year in english interesting yeah. that is not the not other or not nomination not the prediction <laughs> that i expected from you um 
Tell me why. Yeah, I'm very curious about that one. So, like I said, not long ago, one of the best playmakers in the world, not just Europe, in the world, he was top 10 in Europe's big five leagues for three straight seasons. From This is 2018 to 2021, where he was the age of 18 to 21. He was a top 10. He was top 10 in uh, assists per 90, in goal creating actions per 90. And my favorite one here in top 10 in nutmegs. and it just got out of friends like I said one of the best playmakers and he was still eligible to play on like England's U21 team in all of those years right um obviously makes his senior debut during that um during that stretch and and uh, we made jokes about it during the Euros that it literally took him actually signing for Manchester United to actually get (laughs) playing time during the Euros uh but Last season was just about the worst case scenario for someone coming in to uh, well any any new team in their first season, but specifically Manchester United, as we we know the discourse can get pretty nasty around them and, and pretty sensationalized, right? Um, he was in a new league. He had three different coaches. Um, he played his fewest amount of minutes since. Since when, Rion? I lost my audio with you. I have no idea. Oh, since 2017. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, since 2017, which was pretty much his breakout season for, for Dorman, his first like senior first se- season and the senior first team of any team, right? But even with those struggles last season, he still showed traits of that playmaking potential. Was 89th percentile among Premier League attacking mids and shot-creating actions per 90 and 97th percentile in uh, ball carries into the penalty area. So that player is still, that player is there, somewhere in there. That player that was one of the best players in Europe for at, at, at a crazy age, um, it's still there. And I think under a coach who I think we both feel pretty positive about, um, uh, a structured system and... I think, you know, a, a team that will play in a way that makes a bit more sense and, and hopefully without um, a certain black hole up top who, who uh, basically I believe you called him, uh, <laughs> did you call him, quote, geriatric recently? Is that something yes, that I, I did. Okay. I did. Yeah. I did. I did. I was in reference to into an auto pick in our fantasy Premier League <laughs> draft or uh, me taking uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, I will. That's going to be a tough one to yeah, I, get away from. I genuinely laughed out loud when you said that, um, <laughs> by the way. So, yeah. But, but like again, thinking about Sancho and how he might fit into Ten Hag's system, like, he's very capable of playing the same role that Hakim Ziyech played um, in the few years under Ten Hag right before moving to Chelsea. Right. Uh, if you look at kind of comparing their stats in 2019, in the 2019-2020 Champions League season, Sancho had a higher shot, cre- shot creating actions per 90 and expected goals per 90 than Ziyech. Um, the differences were, were really in the defensive parts where Ziyech had higher pressures per 90, although Sancho had a higher, higher pressures per 90 than Ziyech last season. So capable of that defensive work. 
right? So I, I think that's kind of the that's kind of the um, the goal. I think at least for him to be, he can be like what Ziyech was for that IX team, and I think honestly, Sancho has a higher ceiling in terms of like, talent, and so. And then on top of all that, he's English. So you know that they're always <laughs> going to get the bump with, the, with, the, with those awards. So that all of that culminating in why I think he's going to be not. I, I think he's going to play well enough to be nominated this year. Interesting. I, I really like that shout because I feel like since coming to United, he's obviously been a former, or Shelva's former self, but I don't think that's necessarily down to his fault. I think the position that he's played has been some sort of hybrid like inside winger that doesn't really suit exactly, you know, his skill set. I think at Dortmund, you saw him play a lot out wide. And and yeah. I think the, the Hakeem Ziyech comparison is actually really, really spot on. I think like those two will play very, very similar positions um, to when obviously both of them are going to be or have been under Ten Hag. And I, I'm just kind of curious, like, does Ten Hag now see him as a goal threat more so than, or, or at least at the same level that he did Hakim Ziyech? Because Hakim Ziyech at Ajax was still a pretty solid goal threat. Yeah, I don't know if he might have that same role at United, just given the the black hole that we were talking about. <laughs> <A little laughs> yeah, that's I, and that's the interesting thing, right? Like so much hinges on whether Ronaldo is going to be able. It's going to one, be on the team, right? And then two, is Ten Hag going to keep him out of the team because yeah, they played better without him last season. Like, I, I think, I mean, I, I, under certain, I, maybe not necessarily under um, Solskjaer, but overall, I think they played better when he wasn't in can the we, team. Can we take a second to acknowledge our predictions from this time last year? What did we, we said exactly this time last year, we said Ronaldo is going to be, is going to make this team maybe 2% better. If that like, but in reality, in the long run, you probably hurt them. And we, we both said he will score a good handful of goals, but this team will look better without him actually starting. Yeah. And, and we saw it and it's, it's dated, but I will always kind of go back to the, his final season at Juventus their final game of the season when I, when I think they needed to win to get into the champions league. And this was Pirlo's first and unfortunately, as of now, only season as a, as a first team coach, his job on the line, he did not start Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think they ended up winning like three or four nil and getting into the champions league. Like that, that's damning. That's a damning thing like for, for Ronaldo. And, and, and the rumors that we're hearing of of him trying to go to a Champions League club, it's just it's it's all nastiness. Is like, yeah, what yeah. Do you, what else would you expect from the guy? But um, I like the idea of this team. I think I've seen them play Martial, Rashford, and Sancho as a front three in, in most of their games because, as we said, Ronaldo. That's some lights gone king shit right there. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I I I like that front three a lot. I I. I still hold out hope for Anthony Martial being a, a not great player. I think that's kind of past, potentially past that right now, but a very, very useful player for a Champions League uh, aspiring club. And I think for sure. that's, 
I, I think that could be a front three that works really well for Sancho's traits, at least. Yeah. Well, that's a really good prediction. I, re- I really, really like that one. I was not expecting it. But I want to hear about your second prediction, right? What is the other kind of piece in the, the Premier League puzzle that you're the most confident about? Well, no, no, no. I want, I want to hear about... You show me, show me yours, and I'll show you mine. Oh, oh okay, right? okay. Even <laughs> though I may have leaked it to you before I started recording, um, <laughs> sure, sure, I can absolutely do that. So, on the same vein of sticking with the Premier League, because my other one is more so to do with La Liga. Rian, I have some bad news that I'd like to predict for uh, for your team this season. Um, I am personally of the opinion, my this is my major prediction: Chelsea will fall out of the top four just two years after winning the Champions League. And I don't think that I kind of came to that conclusion lightly. And I also potentially think Thomas Tuchel could be, if things really go poorly, one of the first managers to be sacked uh, this season. Do I think he should be? More than likely not. <laughs> like, like, in fact, I could probably tell you no right now. But yeah. the reason why I think that is, I think with the change in management, that obviously with the club structure drastically shifting in the last six months i think it's been concerning to me how much um our our, our american friend who's now in charge has taken ownership of sporting projects and it reminds me a little bit of the glazers back in 2005 when they took over united not that they were in the weeds with every sporting decision but just as a byproduct of power influence and poor man management United are kind of where they are post Alex Ferguson. And I'm not saying Chelsea are going to get to that point long-term, but this is how those type of poor managerial decisions, poor club business decisions are made when people who don't quite honestly know football very well are making footballing type decisions and negotiating on behalf of clubs where you, you haven't been around long enough, quite honestly, to just know the ins and outs. That is the number one reason I'm actually afraid for Chelsea, uh, like at a sporting level, is just the change in management, the change management itself, and our friend Todd. That's number one. Number two is, quite honestly, I, I don't know how else to phrase this. I don't know if Chelsea have done a good enough job in this transfer market to make me feel confident about the squad actually competing for top four. Reason being. And it's not, this is truly not about them losing out to like Barcelona targets. I think that's like, it is what it is. Like that's the transfer market. But the fact that their second tier options, let's call it for a second, are in my opinion, not, not really of the long-term quality that, that they need. That concerns me. Raheem Sterling was a number one target for them. Like, let's be honest. That was a player that they wanted. Clearly Thomas Tuchel knew and he brought to the club. Great. I think that was probably one of the best signings that they've made in the last couple of years. But if you look at who else has been brought in, it's been what Emerson back from Leon. It's been uh, Connor Gallagher back from, from being on loan, I believe. Um, like Koulibaly is, is the other player that really does interest me. I think that that signing from a center back, perspective was very needed like i don't think diago silva and chalaba can together make up some sort of back line um, whether it's a back three back four whatever tuchel wants to do this season but i just don't think chelsea have done enough so far and granted that might change but for example i don't think a bummyang is the answer um I, i think that there still does need to be a younger strong central midfielder 
um, someone who is experienced, someone who does have especially Champions League experience. Not to say this concept or ideation of Champions League experience is going to get them into the Champions League for next season, but it will allow them to actually have depth, which is not something they right right now Chelsea I feel like have in midfield. Um, so for those two reasons, really, I'm scared for Chelsea dropping out of the top four. Um, I don't think right now. I, I worry about quality of depth. I worry about man management going forward. Um, and I worry about the durability, let's call it, of the squad for the entirety of the season. So how do you feel? I don't, don't I, hate I, me. Honestly, <laughs> honestly like sec, your second point, I'm a bit more on I'm, – I'm more uh, in agreement with. Because you know, similarly, I don't know if they've done enough to – be yeah uh good enough to be in the top four next season um especially when you look at you know spurs obviously got better but they were already in the top four and and uh but outside of that united can't be worse than last season it's impossible it's really impossible (laughs) yeah but that that is literally yeah yeah, (laughs) it's impossible like they have to be better um and they're gonna play they're gonna play better than they did last season and then obviously like arsenal have gone out and made signings that had that make them better make that that made them better than they were at the end of last season like simple as simple as that Zinchenko for them is truly one of my favorite signings not because it's a flashy signing but I think it makes a lot of sense for what they need yeah very useful player that can play multiple positions and is an excellent passer which obviously McCullough Teta loves um to your first point I I think when you look at all the signings that, that have come in and the rumors that tells me that this is being driven a lot by Thomas Tuchel. I, I, I think that interesting. I think that okay. Bully, Bully is probably the, is the one I think doing the negotiating right now, which is why you're seeing kind of these like overpays, like potentially like for <laughs> Cucurella and, and, um, and all this other stuff. But uh, Aubameyang, who is the coach that he's, that he has had the most success under in his career. Yeah. And who would want, who, who would want him the most, most likely of any of who would be the only coach in the top six that actually wants that man. <laughs> Realistically <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> who would be the only coach that actually wants that man. Um, and then I think like with obviously with um, Sterling and I think Kulabali like are both kind of two cool driven things. So that scares me in a different way than you do. I'm actually That's more fair. afraid <laughs> of manager driven signings, like yeah. a whole window where it's manager driven signings uh but i'll i'll say this just to play devil's advocate this Mm -hmm. is what you kind of signed up for with tuchel right and and i because i feel i think for the we'll go on yeah well i'm I'm just saying like when he came from psg right one of the biggest things that he really didn't have full control over was kind of who he selected and yeah one of the things that i think he made clear when he did come to chelsea is look i need control over my squad and who i select and that sort of thing and at the time the Abramovich piece of the business was not really an issue. So sure. And he had a great track record and it just been a champions league final. So makes a lot of sense. Um, this was always the potential. If, if we're going off of that theory, right. This is manager driven. There's always that flip side, which is are is Thomas Tuchel driving down a, a path that maybe is not a good long-term strategy for the club. And you have an owner in tandem overpaying for certain signings. Um, which in this market is just unfortunately something is, you have to is do. Which is also what we already did 
for the last <laughs> 50 yeah. years anyway so what's the difference yeah. but um but no i agree i agree with my my hope uh and my hope is and these are just these were like rumors from very early on when the, when the new ownership came in and my hope is that they go out and get a director of football like um some between the start of the season and and the next transfer window basically because it kind of always seemed like this window was going to be kind of just a mad dash especially once i think they lost once uh pitter and uh marina granovsky who are basically the chelsea like the directors slash technical directors of the team mm-hmm. once they left at the beginning of the summer this was always going to be i think kind of crazy dashes where it's like oh well this one didn't work out uh who's yeah, yeah. next who else has been linked with, uh, with this team in the last year <laughs> like yeah I, I think i think all of this is kind of uh just shotgun more than um more than like a sniper shot, yeah. shots with this, with yeah. this transfer so yeah i think i think one of my one of my predictions that was going to fold into the top four thing was that i think uh by the first international break i expect chelsea to be outside the top four by how much i don't know yet but that was, we'll know that, by that the was, first international break yeah yeah well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. like it could be like I, it could be literally by goal difference it could be by four or five points so who knows yeah. but yeah. That's, that's eight I, I think there's one last thing on, on the chelsea piece that i'm very curious about it's it's obviously not relevant until i guess the end of this transfer window um but what effect does marina leaving the club really have on transfer policy going forward because this is she's still a, a part of the club she's employed by the club no but, she's not well i thought she was leaving at the end of the transfer window no she left she's yeah did, she's, did she's, i just she's, fully miss that she's okay. quote-unquote available for advising or adv- advisory stuff but what the hell what kind that of russian bullshit is that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's like the same thing where rangnick is like a consultant for Manchester United, but is actually yeah. like a national team manager right now. So he's definitely not going to be doing any consulting. So. Correct. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I, I must've missed that then, but so I guess you're seeing the effects of that now. Yeah. In some ways. Um, and again, the track record with transfers were not that great anyway, the last like five years. So don't worry. I think our clubs both know something about that. So <laughs> we'll move on to the next point. Um, let, let me hear your next prediction. Your second prediction. Yes. Yes. This one was staying in like the top four, right? At least last season's top four. Um, Tottenham will either make a final or win a trophy in a tournament this season, but they will not make it past the first knockout round of European competition. So if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying Tottenham will make it to basically the FA Cup final or the Carabao Cup final, and, and or, or win and and, and or, or win or and, win and or win and, and or, or win, win I should say, but not make it far or beyond the knockout rounds of the Champions League. I'll, I'll say beyond the first knockout round. So, so you said the first, and so I didn't say the Champions it. League. Oh my god! I, I forgot what last year's top four was. Thank you. No, they um, no, they were in the top four. I just didn't. I said European competition. That those well, words were chosen. Well, am I am I for am I did the coefficients change? Well, dear Elias, I will I will jump into the explanation 
right now. Okay, yeah, you're gonna have to yeah. explain that. I'll start with the I'll I'll start with I'll start with the trophy part of this, right? Antonio Conte is quote unquote, but actually like a serial winner. Like, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just say that because they people they love saying serial yeah, winner. Yeah, yeah. But actually though, since becoming coach of Juventus back in 2011, he's won a trophy in all but one season where he was the coach for the entire season. And that was um in his first season at Inter where they came second in the league and, and uh didn't win a trophy outside of that. And he's only finished outside the top again since 2011. He's only finished outside the top two in the league once or twice. Sorry, <laughs> it, it, it he is a magician. I've 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 lauded about him a lot in the last like year or so. But he's a fantastic manager, right? A fantastic league manager for the most part. His record in Europe is pretty mediocre right looking in the champions league is that 12 wins 11 draws 11 losses he has never made it past the quarterfinals in the champions league and he's not he was knocked out at the group stage in both seasons with inter right and that includes one season when they were the champions of of, of, um of uh italy right his, rec- his record in Europa League is better, but still somewhat disappointing. In 2013, in the 2013-14 season, uh, Juventus lost in the semifinals to Benfica after failing to get past the group stage. And then the sa- same scenario in, in uh, the 2019-2020 season with Inter, where they couldn't make it out of the Champions League group stage, but ended up losing to Sevilla in the final. Right? So... Great coach. They like great, like not taking anything away from that. Like, I would not be surprised if they get very, very close to second place, at least in this this upcoming season. But that record in Europe is he's gone out of the group stage four different times. So it's it's not it doesn't instill confidence in terms of their uh ability to really make noise in the in the Champions League the season or potentially like i said I, that's why i said european competitions or even you know the europa league that's interesting can you get on board I, with it a little now i can i can understand where you're coming from and i understand the the background the knowledge and the statistics behind it i think that makes perfect sense as to why you arrived at that conclusion i think the biggest difference with this spurs team is that they are in the Champions League for at least the, what, six games that they play. Over the course of those six games, you're basing this assumption on the fact that you don't know if they will be basically placed into Europa League from the Champions League onward. Or, like, from the Champions League. Oh, no, it doesn't. I, I, it doesn't. To me, it's like, it doesn't matter if they make it out of the group stage or not. So, okay. They're not making it past the... They're not making it past the round of 16, I should say. They're not making it past the round... I don't think they'll make it past the round of 16 in the Champions League or whatever the first knockout stage is going to be in the Europa League. So, that's... That is or, right there yeah. where I differ. I think I think it's entirely possible they drop down to the Europa League from the Champions League. Um, 
through the group stages. But I do think that if they do drop down to the Europa League, they'll be just fine. I think their level of quality now is is so much higher in the last two years. Not not individual quality, but team quality. Like this team has structure. This team has a style that is so maybe overly reliant on on a partnership of Harry Kane and Home and Son. But I think it's very, very clear what their identity is. It's fast, rapid movement, um, very strong midfielders that have great technical ability and basically defenders who don't take shit because they play like they're Italian. Um, that's yeah, how it's a long way. All right. We'll come back to that during the season, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, that's, so that's my difference there. I do think they would get past the, and, and the Europa league, I believe is around 32 as their first. Yeah. Knockout. So yeah. Quality is just very different there. That's very so, true. That's very so true. I, I think that's my I think the round of 16 for, what's it called the champions league i mean could be bayern munich could be porto right i I, i'm not sure so yeah yeah Yeah. i think you could be right there yeah i think i think it's more like um i think that the physical demands that conte puts on his teams and especially and as a coach that does not rotate very much like that's where i think that kind of that consistent underperformance happens in in Europe for for his teams and and uh, I, I'm expecting I'm not expecting his rotations to get any broader with this Spurs team realistically so I, I I'm with you but they'll probably they'll make it past around the 32 in the Europa League I got you if they yeah. if they finish third in the group stage of course yes if <laughs> big if yeah um gosh I think you got, I've got one more. I've got right? one more prediction, and then we can take a Lay quick on break. Um, my prediction is going to be shifting quickly to Spain. Um, I want to talk a little bit about a Spanish side who I actually was – I, I kind of wanted to go, like, visit in, in near term, but I don't know if it will happen now. But I want to talk about a team we mentioned last time. I want to talk about Sevilla. Sevilla, of course, led by Julian Lopetegui, albeit questionably. Um over the last year or so they've suffered their injuries. They've suffered their squad depth issues. And most importantly, they really fell off in the second half of last season. We've talked about why they fell off. We've talked about what to expect from Sevilla this season, but I really think this could be coming off of the back of one of the most historic seasons, a potentially really, really poor season from Sevilla. I fully expecting them to finish outside of the top four, which to be fair, one of the basically first times in their history qualifying for the champions league through finishing top four, not the Europa league um, was last season. So for them to fall out of the top four would not be the end of the world. I think that would in some ways be the norm, but I think Sevilla have done a really good job of establishing them themselves as a Champions League team, whether it's through Europa League qualification or now most recently through the top four. The reason why I feel like Sevilla are going to fall out of the, those Champions League spots is almost solely down to two things. One, recruitment. I think we I, I've shared this with you now maybe like three times, and we saw it in their most recent friendly against Arsenal. But when you lose your two best center backs in Diego Carlos and Jules Koundé, you are going to have problems. And especially when you don't replace them. Now, granted, there's time between now and the end of the transfer window. We're still talking about this in the beginning of August. But at the same time, 
that's a massive red flag. That is a massive, massive issue when you have two critical, critical players that have now left the club. It's always been Sevilla's policy, but don't expect the same strong defensive performances that you have in the last season. That can't be, that can't be true. The second thing comes down to Julian Lopetegui and his actual just pure dedication to this project because he came under a lot of fire, a lot of criticism towards the last three months of the season and into the summer. Basically, the Sevilla Sevilla management was split on whether or not he should really stick around and was kind of split on whether they thought he would stick around and whether he might leave. Going into a season where you're coming off of one of your best seasons ever, it's going to be pretty difficult to feel like he's fully committed to a project that maybe he's not uh, quite honestly. And I think that has a downstream effect on the rest of the squad. Now, the one thing that really, really like just stood out to me in the Arsenal preseason game, I'm going to use that as an example, not because of the scoreline, but because of what I saw that I think was really, really um, crucial. Sevilla looked overrun. Now, granted it's early in preseason for them, because the the Premier League starts a week earlier, they did look unfit. They did not look very, very up to, to speed, basically, with what normal European top five football should look like. But most importantly, they looked overrun. I think that speaks to the age, age of the squad. Players like Jesus Navas, Ivan Rakitic, albeit great players, are now getting up there in age. And they have not fully replaced those players. They... They are starting to have those conversations. We're seeing rumors and transfer um, speculation about players coming into Sevilla, but that really concerns me. I think they will be overrun. I think Sevilla will, will fall out of the top four. And I fully expect Julian Lopetegui to be gone by the end of the season. So That was going to be my next question was, like, where do you, where do you think that puts Lopetegui? Because as you said, like, they generally don't finish in the top four. And and usually their route into the Champions League is through Europa League, right? Um, so like, would it be that much of something that's like off course with expectations for them to not make it out of top four? Do you think that he'll kind of start to lose confidence from the players themselves at some point? I think that could happen pretty early on the season. Like when it comes to losing confidence in the from the players and the rest of the fans like that's kind of already happened like that's kind of my whole point like we're going to a season where that tipping point has already been broached so i'm more worried that it's just going to get worse throughout the season especially if for example let's say Sevilla going on a run of three games where they don't win that's that's going to be massive <laughs> pressure now for lopetegui and i don't think it's one that he's going to want to deal with come let's say the christmas holiday break and maybe even the world cup break will be kind of like thankful for him yeah. if he makes it to that point all right yeah well, it, one last thing i guess actually we're, we're about to find it out in the in top four predictions themselves so you want to uh, you want to hold it yeah yeah i'll hold it <laughs> all right let's do it we'll be right back we're gonna come back talking about our top four and relegation predictions all right ladies and gentlemen let's talk about it top four relegation these are really the the important parts of predictions that actually matter outside of what our wild predictions might be to Rihanna's point, I do really like the Jaden Sancho um, call out that he had. Um, I, I truly do not believe Chelsea or Sevilla would make top four. Um, yeah, and quite honestly, I don't know what's going to happen with Spurs in Europe because that's a black box 
um, <laughs> or a black hole, <laughs> if you will. But when it comes to top four, those are pretty concrete. You can listen back to this in nine months time and pretty much hold us accountable for it. So Rian, let's start with the Premier League. Let's start with two teams that are almost guaranteed to be in the top two, Liverpool and Manchester City. But I want to start, more importantly, in fourth position. I'm of the opinion Chelsea are not going to finish in the top four. You feel like Spurs could have a resurgence. I'm very curious to hear what your third and fourth positions are. And, hey, maybe maybe you think Liverpool or City are going to slip into those positions. Who knows? But want to start with third and fourth. Third and fourth. Okay. So I still think with all the things that, that we've talked about with Chelsea, uh, you know, they won just four of their last 10 games last season, which included four goals given up to Brentford and, and Arsenal and a loss to relegation threat Everton. Um, obviously, like we talked about it, a lot of moving parts with the club trying to sign players and at the same time, trying to get rid of players, looking at you know Marcus Alonso, Spilicueta, and, and even potentially Timo Werner, all even with all of the turmoil, especially in the second half of last season with the ownership and, and players leaving on the way out, right? They were still comfortably the third best team in the league I, in terms of performance, right? They're plus point eight of uh, expected goal difference per 90 was was way off Liverpool's <laughs> plus 1.45 in, in second, but still considerably considerably above Arsenal's in fifth. I'm still putting Chelsea at fourth place. Uh, I think my, my only, and, and that, that's by like kind of a hair right now. I'm, I feel like I'm splitting hairs with honestly that, that fourth place. Like I could easily see it being Chelsea or Arsenal. Or if Manchester United get a singular defensive midfielder uh, in the next four weeks, potentially they even they could slip in there. But um, just like kind of thinking about the Arsenal part of it, like this will be their this will be their first full season with Arteta under Arteta and in European competition, right? And what was kind of our the thing that we we realized that tripped them up a lot at the second half of last season was the lack of depth once injuries happened. Uh, and those injuries were happening pretty much without them playing in any other competition in the second half of last season. So I, I still have some question marks over the depth there, especially at fullback. Um, but this, this is easily the best team that that, Arson, that uh, Arteta has had during his time there. So I, I could I could very well be convinced, or I would not be surprised at all if they end up finishing above Chelsea in fourth place. But that, that's my fourth place team. And then third place, Tottenham. I, for right now, I've still got to keep Liverpool and City up as like the top dogs. But a couple of things, I think there's that gap is not going to be as large between second and third place as it was last season, or, or as it has been realistically the last few for, for years. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, still, two, two best teams in the league. But we've seen in preseason, they've definitely changed the styles they've tweaked the style of their teams because of their new strikers that have come in right we've seen holland very very different type of player than anyone they had last season uh in, in, as a forward at least we've, we've seen them play with him and and uh juliana alvarez as like a front two i think for part of like the community shield 
really really excited to watch Julian Alvarez this that should have been one of my really um, really excited yeah that I was gonna say that should have been one of my um predictions right is him scoring x number of goals this season um coming from river he's gonna play I think he's gonna play a lot I think he will I think he will yep um and and then with with Liverpool Nunez obviously a much more central type of forward and and uh more of a focal point type of forward than Sadio Mane was uh so so two very different they're playing slightly different styles and at the same time for city they they oh, no go on no 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 i'm just thinking i'm truly thinking out loud at this point what i think is actually similar between both teams and how they're slightly tweaking their styles i think they're going to try and isolate both of their strikers a lot more like Agreed. i don't think i think money for example was isolated at liverpool but for a very like specific reason because he had a lot more pace than most players he would run in behind. I think when I talk about isolation for these two out and outs, like pure strikers, I'm talking about players like De Bruyne, Jack Grealish, um, Salah, for example, all staying as long as possible in the wide areas or the half spaces to allow Nunez and Holland to really run in behind and play balls in behind defenders because they have the talent, the speed and the tenacity to actually basically get on the end of those balls. Um, not to say there aren't other ways of scoring goals. I just think that's one of the key similarities actually between how both of those teams are starting to tweak their styles. Yeah. And for City, they've got to find a way to make up the production that was lost by uh, Gabriel Jesus and Raheem Sterling leaving, right? Those guys combined for 21 goals and 13 assists in the league last season. Um now Holland put up 22 goals and, and eight assists in, in the Bundesliga last season. No, so quick but, math tells pretty, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but if, we're, if we go like a little deeper, you know, non-penalty expected goals plus expected assists per 90, uh, Jesus and Sterling combined for about 1.4 and, and Holland was about 0.9. So they, so they still need to make up some of that chance creation, right? Um, someone's got to make it up and maybe it'll be Alvarez, like genuinely, maybe it'll be Alvarez um, or or someone else there's always someone in the city team at least since pep has joined that pops up that season becomes like player of the season when they weren't quite like even the fifth best player on the team the (laughs) season before so yeah so we'll see who it is this season um and from Liverpool's side they're losing Mane who second on the team in goals with 16 and also had the second highest xg on the team and from like a kind of a volume of attacking um he was the 95th person. This is from Opta. This is the 95th percentile for attacking contributions, which is non-penalty shots plus open play chances created. So they've got to they've got to fill that hole as well. That I think is going to be a bit more difficult than City. Um, than what City have to fill because I mean, hey, maybe we'll see a breakout season from like Harvey Elliott or or Carvalho, who they brought in from from Fulham. Like that, they're going to need someone in the midfield to kind of um take up the load that's left from from Sadio Mane so first and second I still think will be Liverpool or City if I had to I think I'm gonna lean towards City right now just because I I think that yeah I I think that they're still more of a complete team um and we'll we'll see how Liverpool goes again but like this it's intense every season obviously trying to keep up with City so yeah we'll see but that was my first First and second will be one. Will I think City, then Liverpool, then Tottenham, then just still going to edge it for Chelsea. But um, 
I, I will not, like I said, won't be surprised if we come to April and, and Arsenal <laughs> are like three point three, four, five points up um, from fourth place. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually agree with you on the city call. I think this actually might be the largest margin that they could win the Premier League by in the last two years, mm. almost exclusively because of, I think, the goal engine that they have now up front and, and that's a combination of of holland and julian alvarez so um not say darwin nunez is not it he really could be but i think different levels right now so good predictions good predictions don't hate that relegation do you have any thoughts relegation yeah pretty quick with these i i'll start with the first two bournemouth and fulham in bournemouth they're coming up with players uh, they have at least a handful. I was looking this up, like five to seven players who were on the team when they got relegated uh, three years ago and played like significant minutes and then also played significant minutes for them last season in the championship. So they're going to be relied upon this season. And you're talking about guys who were not good enough Premier League players three years ago. And, and granted, three is a long time, but um, not good enough three years ago. And they're still heavily relying on them. So that scares me. Um, Fulham is more on the the vibes around the team. For the doesn't culture, seem great. <laughs> no, <laughs> the vibes around the team don't seem great. Their manager Marco Silva has been not very happy with the transfer activity. I think they've only signed um about three or four players. And, I, I think and, they've lost pretty key players, mm-hmm. and also the only kind of major sign I guess you could really think of is Burn Leno. Yeah, exactly. So, well, they they they're scaring me too. But it could be a coin flip between them and, and Nottingham Forest. But, but we'll see. Um, the third team, though, which pains me, really pains me to say this. Uh, I, I think Everton. Um, what? Yeah. I, Are you serious? I, I know I said last season they were too big to fail, right? Yeah, you've been harping that. Yeah. The, <laughs> It it the flip switch for me when I saw the Calvert Lewin news where he's going to be out for the ah. first three months of the season potentially reportedly three months of the season. Um, you're talking about a team that already lost Richarlison, who was their highest goal scorer last season with ten goals. The next best in the team was five, and Calvert Lewin had five. Yeah, half more than half the season, right? Um, you don't think Demari Gray can score five goals between now and the season? <laughs> he scored five goals. He did. Score I know. Five goals I know. Yeah, all season. Yeah, though. I think he could do it. I think he could do five goals in the entire season. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Specifically over the three months that. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. I I feel like he might have scored three or four of them in in like a two month span last season anyway so that sounds about right so maybe <laughs> um uh but yeah i mean outside of that you know they're it's only really their midfield attack and defense that are still major issues Damn. <laughs> i love you know what my favorite part about that is you didn't for once actually call out pickford like you didn't, you specifically did not mention goalkeeper as as a position that is an issue for them. So that's that's a first for you. I'm trying yeah, to grab yeah, silver you know, linings. He was he was actually like he is better when the team is bad. Like he yeah, because it makes needs, him look good. Yeah, he needs like the volume of shots to to like be like in the game pretty much. So um, yeah, that Everton still very wow. very frightening to me. 
Wow. Um, I'm going to write that yeah. down. That's yeah. pretty major. Okay. They signed two Burnley players over the summer. So they're basically getting ready for a relegation. Fight. <laughs> like, like they are, they're, they've already know it. They already know it. So yeah, it scares me. Wow. That is tough. Well, I'll, I'll very briefly go through my, uh, my La Liga predictions because I'm still mentally trying to wrap my head around the Everton piece. I want to come back to that. Like, Four, let's say four months from now, when mm. assuming Dominic Calvert Lewin is back, like this team post World Cup. Post I guess, Cup. yeah, I guess that would that's be their one saving Cup. grace is that he'll be out, and then we'll have a whole month of World Cups that that he can potentially like rehab and get ready for the when the season starts again. That's their yeah, that's their hope. That's their one yeah. hope. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Well, okay, Rian. Um, last piece will be La Liga predictions i told you i was going back and forth i'll start with four all the way on on to one i really i really struggled with this i was between two teams villarreal and real batiste for fourth place because i do think sofia drop out i think villarreal weirdly enough i think are really a better side than real batiste I, i i truly I feel like I say Batista a lot. I think it is Real Betis, but uh, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll table that for another day. Anyway, I do think Villarreal are actually a better side. Statistically, they were a better side. I believe they scored more goals last season. They obviously made it to a Champions League semifinal, but I think the thing that lacked for them was truly consistency in their performances across the league campaign. Because if there was more consistency in terms of especially their defensive record, I think there would have been a much better chance that they could have made a push for top four. With that being said, Real Batista are coming off one of the most successful years in their history, which they won the Copa del Rey for the first time in decades. Um, had a wonderful, wonderful season under Manuel Pellegrini. I, I it's it's a toss up for me. It truly is a toss up between those two teams i do think that at the end of the day though villarreal could make this push so they're my choice for top four i i just at the end of the day think that they are the better side i think that they have more talent as a team I, that's truly what it comes down to i wouldn't be surprised if real but like did finish top four but my gut is telling me villarreal for fourth atletico for third rian it's been a while it's been, in fact, three years of pain, but I do think Barcelona win La Liga this season almost exclusively because they have too much to lose if they don't. Because <laughs> I think I think they've made such investments into this team. By the way, investments which I hope to God get registered, but they made... <laughs> yeah, that was my, my, my yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, go on. I hope they make these knowing that they've made these investments to win the league in the short term. Obviously I don't, no one really knows what's going to happen long-term, but I do think Barcelona have enough of a team right now to truly make a push for, for the league title. Um, not like in previous years where I was like, Oh, maybe Valverde will do, will do it and it'll be boring for 90% of the season. This is truly the most optimistic I felt in several years about this team. Um, Real Madrid, of course, finishing second is my, my prediction. 
I, I, I like it. I like it. Um, to, to give you some numbers to back up at least your Villarreal pick. Please. Oh, I'd love some because were, I literally, were... I, I stared for like 10 minutes. I was like, I, I, I don't know. They're so close. They're, they were fourth in the league last season in terms of expected goal difference per 90 or per game. Today. So they, they played at the level of, a, of good enough to make it into the Champions League last season. So we'll see. Thank, I, thank you for validating. Yeah, that, of honestly, course. Of because course. I, I, I like one of the things that I think frustrated me the most, like I think back to that Bayern game, for example, where they could have probably beat Bayern by a lot, <laughs> which was shocking in that first leg. Um, yeah. They just need to finish their chances. They really do. I think defensively there were some issues, right? But also just the clinicalness of their chances. Oh, oh they really could have made the Champions League final if they wanted. Not if they wanted, but if a certain goalkeeper knew how to <laughs> play his position. But whatever. <laughs> anyway, that's no, what I like. I like. I like the. I like the shout. Um, agreed with you that they right now again if they. If they assuming that they're able to register these players. <laughs> this is this is a team that is much better positioned to challenge um, at the top or, yeah. or, you know, to challenge for the title, really. Uh, I still I still think, I, I still kind of feel like Atletico and Barcelona squads are better than Real Madrid's, but uh, again, like, you know, assuming all these players are in and, and whatever happens with transfer market, uh, but... I still feel like those teams are are have better overall squad. I, I I probably still think that Atletico has the best squad in the league, but as we saw last season, they don't really play like it. So it, it's which is unfortunate in its own and a, and a different conversation. But um, I don't know. I still feel like the, like Barcelona and Atletico have better squads. Doesn't mean that I think that they're going to finish higher than than Real Madrid because as we learned last season it doesn't really matter um <laughs> yeah. for them but yeah I don't know I, I that, that's just kind of my my two cents going into the season it, it'll obviously shape out could shape out much differently after the first seven to eight games then we'll really know right but yep yep I think we'll we'll have a really good idea from then on out um so yeah we shall see I think those are all of our predictions all of our surprise potential predictions that could come about from the season outside of, of course, top four and relegation. Oh, relegation in Spain. Uh, my three teams, oh, yes. Cadiz, uh, Valladolid and Mallorca. Those are my three teams. Um, Cadiz because their top scorer being Alvaro Negredo last season and basically only making it out of the <laughs> relegation zone on the last day. Um, not a very good combination. Valladolid have not been back in, uh, in La Liga, I can't even remember them the last time. Was it a year, two years? I think it was two years ago. They were in La Liga, the 2020, 2020 and 2021 season, I believe. Um, having just come up and basically only scored, I believe, 21 goals from open play in that season. Not enough, I think, in my opinion. Um, and also this squad has very much stayed the same um, since since then, or at least to my knowledge, outside of maybe a, a few individuals here and there um so yeah those are those are my two and then mallorca for the same reason as cat so all right that's my, that's my so, so sounds like sounds like our, our my guy tati castellanos is going to keep up Girona, yep right? i i do feel i let's very go. i very much believe Girona are going to stay up let's go yeah I, <laughs> I would be excited. i'd be really excited for that honestly so all right well with that ladies and gentlemen that concludes 
I guess the last preseason podcast. And that's what next one will be probably when I'm in Europe and probably, yeah. When we start the season. Oh my God. That's so weird. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll talk to you guys then. Uh, thanks guys. Can't wait.